0: Hi there, thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. A few weeks ago I started tackling a couple of songs and uh, under the the thematic title of living in a world seemingly gone mad. And in the first week, we looked at Psalm 1, so many voices ringing in my ear. What do we do? Last week, we considered the superpowers from Psalm 2, seeing that God reigns supreme. Today, I want to move on. And uh, Psalm 51 it's going to be, and the title is My Lifestyle Choices. So please turn to Psalm 51, well-known psalm. That's one of those psalms we should often refer to. And uh, Psalm of David, to the choir master, Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone to Bathsheba. I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Birch me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness, that the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. You will not delight in sacrifice, or I will give it. You will not be pleased with burnt a burnt offering. Sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Do good design in your good pleasure, build up the walls of Jerusalem. You will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings, then bulls will be offered on your altar. Just so far reading of God's word. Lord, we do pray that as we uh, lead through this particular psalm, seeking to understand it, but Lord, also praying that your Spirit would minister to us the truth and the greatness of your steadfast love. And help us, Lord, also to be responsible, taking the kind of decisions that are right and pleasing to you. We ask in your name. Amen. Now, I don't know if this, this sound is, is coming back at me. And uh, I don't know, guys, if you're aware of that, so if we could just make, make an adjustment, uh, it, would,
1: it would be helpful.
0: Introduce this topic this morning, telling a story, relating really uh, an event. During my first pastorate down in KZN, KwaZulu Natal, Carol and I made good friends with a couple that joined our church. They got very involved in the church. We had children of similar age. Joined, they joined our Bible study group. He was, husband was very involved in the music ministry of the church. Wife was involved in hospitality and ladies' work. One day, out of the blue, they announced, we were good friends, really good friends. We were surprised. They suddenly announced they were relocating to Cape Town. They left. Some months later, we were on holiday in Cape Town and made contact to get together for a bribe. So while standing at the fire cooking the meat, my friend suddenly blurted out the shocking news that he was HIV positive. I thought I knew him. So I assumed that it was because of contaminated blood, perhaps in a procedure, surgical procedure, that he had. I need to hear him tell me that he was gay. Having had countless sexual encounters with other men, he went on to tell me that even while we were friends and serving together at this church in Peter Maritzburg, was living a double life. Now this is an important statement that I'll never forget. Following the impulses of his desires... And he didn't think it mattered because nobody knew what he was doing. We've got to think about that.
1: Ask an important question. Are we as people,
0: people made in the image of God, unlike the animals? We're in a different category. We're in a different league. Are we as people to act on any and every impulse, following the desires of our heart at any time and any place? I think it's one of the big questions being asked, perhaps incorrectly answered in 2023. And so to get more specific on the issue, does it matter, does it matter what sexual lifestyle choices you and I make? Does it matter that we commit adultery or have same-sex relationships, or have a transgender role-switching practice, especially if nobody knows about it. Bottom line is, does it matter that I sin? Does it matter that you or I break the commands of God while the world around us applauds and don't mind? Well, as we turn to this particular psalm and context of the psalm, we discover that King David sinned. He indulged the impulses, very important word there, the impulses of his sinful nature by having an affair. It seemed reasonable to him that he took some time out to relax. He should have been out at war with his soldiers. But in his own mind, he'd become confident and he felt the kingdom was secure. And so instead of accompanying the troops on their usual springtime war maneuvers, he stayed at home comfortable in Jerusalem. And that was when he saw Bathsheba. The Bible tells us that she was very beautiful. But unfortunately for David, at this particular point in time, she was married to one of David's officers, Uriah the Hittite. And I suppose David, thinking himself to be the king and above others in accountability, uh, following the impulses of his desires, looking for a particular good time, he thought uh, with Bathsheba that it would be nothing more than just a, a one-night fling. His mind, he was about to do, didn't really matter. Because the husband was away at war, he would never know. But unfortunately for him... Bathsheba became pregnant. So with Uriah away, fighting a war, an embarrassing scandal was inevitable. So David needed to make a plan to keep his nose clean. Believing, and this is my first point in this message over here, him believing sin doesn't matter if you can hide it. He was very sharp, David, fast and slick Strategic plan to hide the sin that he committed with Bathsheba thinking no doubt that all would be well, it would not matter that he'd sinned if he would succeed in his plan he called Uriah bring him back from the front line under the pretext that he wanted some information with regards the war getting Uriah then to sleep at home that night with Bathsheba Making sure Uriah was safely out on the campaign again nine months down the line when the baby was born. But Uriah didn't cooperate. He was so stubborn, David must have thought. And we don't know why. Was it just that he was a noble man? Was it that he smelt the rat? <laughs> but, but, but he determined in his heart and he commuted, communicated, I'll sleep in the servant quarters. Didn't want to have an evening with his wife while the rest of his fellow soldiers were out in battle. And so for three days, David tried to get his plan to succeed. He whined and he dined, this poor fellow, uh, to no avail. And so David had to accept that his first effort to cover up was not going to work. And the sad thing is David comes up with a second effort, a second strategic plan. Gets a little bit more desperate now. He instructs Joab, the the officer commanding, to engineer events such that Uriah is killed. Front line in battle. And then in his thinking, I'm guessing after a suitable funeral with full military honors, no doubt, marry the poor grieving widow. Make himself look really uh, squeaky clean. And the plan worked. Uriah died. David married Bathsheba. David adopted the child, and then David believed it didn't matter that he sinned. Covered his tracks very skillfully and carefully. No one knew, and after all, is it not true, that everybody has a skeleton somewhere hiding in their cupboard? Happened? It's over? It could all be forgotten?
1: Ask ourselves, not just criticizing David... Is do you or I ever follow that kind of reasoning? Sin. We cover
0: up our tracks, telling some half truths, putting ourselves in a good light, strategically plotting and scheming and manipulating to absolve oneself for wrongdoing. So the question is: Does it matter that you or I? have sinned as long as we can hide it from everybody else. Now, if the truth be told, you know this and I know this, we can hide our sins from other people. Very easy to do that. It is also true that we're living in a society with added pressure because society is giving permission for you to follow the impulses of your desires. And so, in the opinion of those around you out in the world, it's okay. In the context of the church, we can hide it and it doesn't matter.
1: Does it happen among us?
0: I think probably it does. We sin. Nobody knows. Nobody's hurt. Nobody's any wiser. I keep looking like a saint. You keep looking like a saint. And we've proved it doesn't matter that we sinned. But the the story doesn't end there. As David discovered, sin cannot be swept under the carpet. Not easily. Because sin matters because God
1: knows. That's my second point.
0: I can't tell you how important this is in the day that we live. Even if society approves, it does not make it right. Society does not determine moral righteousness or moral norms that are pleasing to God. And so even if society does approve, even if nobody else knows about it, even if we can marry, manage to carry on some kind of hypocrisy as David did, and we can do that. We go to church, we go to Bible study, we say our prayers, we sing in the court, all those good things, read the Bible. But the reality is, the unresolved issue of sin remains like a rotting corpse in the
1: cupboard. And I
0: don't want to use the you this morning. Because I'm speaking to myself. It's you and, and me. We, we cannot hide our sin from God. You cannot. We cannot cover up guilt and sin no matter how hard we try, even if we succeed amongst our peers there's nothing hidden from god god is all-knowing god is everywhere present god knows every thought god knows every motive god knows every action have a look at psalm 139 and read that psalm it will help you understand that david eventually learned that lesson he learned it through the prophet nathan who paid him a visit one day confronted him with his sin uh, that God knew what he had done all along and God knew about the six scheming that had followed his selfish and sinful deeds. Psalm 51 is a poem written in the wake of that humiliating and convicting experience that David had confronted by Nathan. And so this morning, as we come to the Lord's table, I thought this message was very appropriate. If we are going to deal with guilt successfully, cannot be covered up. We, like David, have to deal with the skeletons in our cupboard. We need to have the humble guts, and it does take courage. We need to have the humble guts to see, number three, my third point, sin does matter, but it can be resolved.
1: Yes. I am puzzled,
0: guilty of this myself, why we Christians spend so much time and effort pretending we are squeaky clean? I don't know if you have that feeling sometimes in the church. You know, we're kind of these perfect people in this uh, world of darkness. Well, we're not. We're not. And, and we must accept that. We must stop pretending and, and, and believe the scriptures that none is righteous, not one. Oh Romans 3 verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now I'm going to make some confessions over here, but, but quote me in context. I confessed to Carol
1: one day that I wish someone was dead. Have you ever done that? Ashamed to say
0: that. I'm at times, as a pastor of 31 years, still green with envy sometimes when I see some of the cars on, driving from Moikloof on a Sunday morning. Have you
1: seen them? i trying to make the point right,
0: that we still have the remaining marks of sin. Us as believers, we are new creatures, but we are not perfect creatures. I had a friend in this church who's now passed away uh, it taught me a lesson, and I've shared this lesson with you before. Valuable lesson. He said to me, if someone points a finger at you, accusing you of something, something sinful, just be glad that's all they know about you. That was an elder of this church, Rev. Redrickson. He was the, one of the wisest men I've known. Wise, wise. And so it's better to admit the truth. We must face up to our sin. We must face up to our guilt. And as we move through this particular psalm, we're going to see some practical ways on how we can do this. We, we do so by being honest with ourselves. Being honest with yourself. The thing that we need to face up to is the guilt itself. Look at David in verse 3. Finally gets to the place where he's able to admit, I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Before he tried to cover it up, but now, under the conviction of the Spirit of God, of the prophet of God that had come with the Word of God is willing to admit and to confess that he needed to look deep down in his own heart and face up to the truth of his fallenness. This process is about Holy Spirit at work. Uh, humbly bringing about or bringing about a humble, honest self-scrutiny. And it's hard. This is not an easy thing to do because there are other useless options that appear so appealing. And I'll give you some of them. It's it's a hard thing to do because of these other useless options that seem so attractive. Like, for example, David did in his, what did I call it, scheming excuses. That's what people do. We, we default to scheming excuses, the age-old old, age old practice, passing the buck to someone else. Adam blamed Eve, and Eve blamed the serpent. And if you have a child and you've ever raised any children at all, you will know that this child will blame that child. And, and, and it's seldom that someone quickly and, and, and effectively admits wrongdoing. David rationalized his sin. I am sure he probably blamed Bathsheba for falling pregnant. You stupid woman. Why did you, why did you fall pregnant? You wouldn't put us in this ridiculous and difficult situation. Oh, Uriah. What, what's wrong with you, Uriah? Why don't you just cooperate and this thing can go away? So, so these excuses, these excuses that, that plague us second option that is often prevalent that David displayed was that of self-righteousness. David's initial response to Nathan in 2 Samuel chapter 12 verse 5. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man and he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. Do you see how ready he was to judge somebody else? And then Nathan comes back to him and he says to him,
1: you're the man So quick
0: to pass judgment, but so blind to his own failings. Third option, again, we see this come out in Psalm 51, as I've called it, suppression. David speaks, as he does in verse 8, he speaks about the bones you have broken. In other words, he feels crushed in the season of unrepentance of of, of the season where he's trying to cover up his So no, no matter how well he could pretend in public, uh, no, no matter how well his so-called scheme seemed to work, when he put his head down on the pillow at night, he suffered private emotional pain. That's always what happened happens when guilt is suppressed. Anxiety, depression, aches and pains, ulcers, hypertension these become manifested realities my hardest experiences in ministry was a deathbed confession of a
1: man with his wife present. This is what he said. I'm standing next
0: to the bed on the one side. Wife is standing on the other side of the bed. I once visited a prostitute. I feel I need to tell you
1: and he died. Closed his eyes, and he died. I don't know what to say.
0: she deal with that after experience? Do you see the problem? This man had suffered. He suffered for however long it was, since he'd had this particular encounter, since he had done this particular thing. It was eating him up. And so on his deathbed, he says something. Inwardly, David was a mess. But the insight of godly wisdom finally comes to him. And he says this in verse 6, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And so the excuses, the self-righteousness, the suppression, now gives way to confession. Facing up to the reality and, and uh, not only looking honestly, uh, what did I call it? By being honest with himself, but by personally dealing with God. Verse 4 Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Now we know that David sinned against Bathsheba, he sinned against Uriah, but now he confesses ultimately the truth. In the final analysis, his sin was against God, and only God. And, and, and so we need to understand that. We need to understand that it's not just offending a brother or offending a sister. It's not just breaking a law that hurts somebody and their consequences and our environment. God is involved. God is the one that is offended. And so we cannot come to terms with guilt until we come to terms with understanding that we must have personal dealings with God. Guilt is Objective, it's real, it stands between us and God. It's not just contravening social conventions or disobeying parents or offending someone. So David goes on by pleading to God for mercy. Personal dealings with God, pleading to God for mercy. Verse 7 Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquities. Do, do you see the sense now? He understands this. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit. He is using the analogy here of the Old Testament hyssop, practice of a hyssop. It was what the priest used to symbolize the purification of a leper. So when the leper was cleansed, there was a prescribed ceremony. Then he could be declared clean and enter back into his community. And so David, David admits here, and he's saying that he feels this defilement of sin is like leprosy. He longs for healing. He longs to be clean. He longs to be rehabilitated, just like the cleansed leper wants to be sent back into the fellowship of the community and of God. David is under no illusions but the seriousness and the radical nature of the therapy. Create in me, verse 10, a clean heart, O God. See this the spiritual and even, if I could say, the supernatural working of God, the Spirit of God working in us, sanctifying us, changing us. Heart surgery, no superficial band So often we think we can just... Uh, put something uh, small and and cover up an issue. No, sin has to be dealt with as it is a serious matter. It's a disease deeply embedded in David, deeply embedded in ourselves. He goes right back to the beginning of his life in verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother deceive me. Corruption. Sinful nature. Fundamental rebelliousness and and, and selfishness, which is evident amongst people uh, since, ever since we emerge from the womb. So David's making the point that there are no resources in and of ourselves to solve or to combat the depth of depravity. Our will is inadequate, our emotions are inadequate. Uh, we, we experience the reality of, of sin gripping our lives so, so harshly, Uh, We need God to be at work. And so my fourth step here is I see that David goes on finding a solution by believing God. Humbly, humbly believing God will accept and forgive him. And and he states a principle, verse 16 and 17. You will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it, because this is now works-based, you will not be pleased with a burnt offering, works based. Instead, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Humility, humility. It's the only route back into the presence of God. It's the only way to do business with God. Humility. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise.
1: God has provided. For those who come, believing,
0: humbly. And he says it in verse 1. I'm sort of jumping around the psalm when he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. You see, I can bring sacrifices. I can do things. I can pay some money. I can say seven Hail Marys. But that's all work-based, which is inadequate. The thing that is needed is the dependence and the application and the reception of the steadfast love of God. He understands what we sing sometimes in an old hymn, "Not, but nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross I cling. The steadfast love of the God, we have it, of God demonstrated visibly before us this morning. So David believed trusted in the unfailing love and compassion and grace from God, that which is in the heart of God for him, the provision that God has made. Now now we, from a different perspective, we can add, we understand more about the steadfast love of God because we have seen that that Jesus, God, demonstrates his love uh, for us in the sending of Jesus. Jesus demonstrates this on the cross, unfailing compassion in the heart of God sinners. So,
1: it's not nice to speak about sin. None of us like that. But I hope this
0: morning the encouragement is that sin can be resolved. We can know forgiveness. We can walk in the light with God. We can be recipients. We are recipients of grace in justification, but we need to keep short accounts with God as we be sanctified and, and, and walk in the light. And and the point I'm really wanting to make this morning is, 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 is let's not believe the world. My lifestyle choices matter because sin matters to God. Your lifestyle choices in this world seemingly gone mad matters to God. But there's liberty. There is freedom. There is forgiveness. There is the reality of a heart of stone replaced with a heart of flesh. Uh, There's sanctification when when God is at work in in changing us and and molding us and and enabling us to put sin aside. So as we come to the table this morning, uh, just simply end with this scripture from 1 John 1 verse 9. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I'm going to pray, and, and as I pray, I wonder also if those of you who are serving, if they could come and join me um, at the table. Lord, we do come at the end of this message. Thank you for Psalm 51. Lord David, uh, we know that you'd set your love upon him, a man of your own heart. And yet, Lord, he, he fell. He disappointed you. He, Lord, grieved your spirit. But thank you that this psalm demonstrates to us the wonderful gift of forgiveness and grace. So to we confess, I confess this morning, Lord, my own spiritual journey, being imperfect, failing you so often. And among people here today, Lord, who also fail you, having good intentions, wanting to do that which is right, wanting to please you, wanting to live in a way that, that Lord, is worthy of our calling. And yet, so easily fall, so easily fail. But Thank you, Lord, again. Another scripture that comes to my mind, uh, do not sin, but when you do sin, you have an advocate, righteous. And so as we come to the table today, as we partake of these elements, may we focus our belief humbly on what Jesus has accomplished
1: in in his substitutionary death, behalf of sinful men. Thank you for listening to the sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.